You're listening to the Trust Issues Podcast. I'm David Puner, a Senior Editorial Manager at CyberArk, the global leader in identity security. Enterprise cybersecurity deployments aren't just about putting technology in place and flipping a proverbial switch. It's just as much, if not more, about the people who ultimately interact with these tools. How will the rollout impact their day-to-day lives? Will they resist new processes and expectations? And how best to overcome their objections? Which communication and training methods will resonate most? How will these tools alleviate their pain point and ultimately help them succeed at their jobs? And at the end of the day, or night as the case may be, customers are, of course, looking at technology as a business enabler rather than another complicated system their people must master. And that's where experts like today's guest enter the picture. Crystal Trani is a practice director supporting privileged account and endpoint privilege management teams for the cyber advisory and solutions firm Optiv. That means that, among other things, she and her team help organizations successfully manage change in constantly changing times. And they're along for that journey, as you'll hear her refer to it, every step of the way. Crystal has been in the identity space for around 17 years, so she's long been at the forefront of implementing cutting-edge strategies to secure organizations from internal and external threats. Here's my conversation with Crystal Trani. Crystal Trani, Practice Director, Privileged Account and Endpoint Privilege Management at Optiv. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Thanks for having me, David. <laughs> awesome. We've I feel like we've we've already done the episode, but we haven't even started yet. You've been in the identity space for a while with Optiv for about eight years. What's your path been to your current role as Practice Director of Privileged Account and Endpoint Privilege Management? The path that I've taken here, I think, may speak to a lot of people, quite frankly, just because identity in the sense that we see it now has not been around in always that same way. I started in IT and, you know, basic IT support jobs and curiosity kind of got me into this whole journey. I worked at a retail tax company. They had seasonal employees When I joined, they were starting to automate the user access, and I thought that was really interesting. So I really leaned into that process. We had some pretty fun and interesting innovations that we did into that area, which ended up being identity, to be uh, frank, right? And that was really before anybody really understood what it was or how we were going to define it or, or what to call it. And from there, I joined Optiv and, you know, really was just in that whole identity space. Because um, like I said, that's kind of where my curiosity led me. I think it's a very interesting area to work. And I, I find that people that are really successful in this kind of career are those curious kind of learner people. Like, how does that work? And what could we do better here? And They also seem to be really interconnected as far as the way that we uh, like to share with other folks our knowledge and then learn from other people their perspective. And so I I made the leap to Optiv really to be closer to the technology, to be closer to see what other people are doing. When you have your own 
one company that you're working for and with, you only see the things that they've bought and how you're going to integrate those together. So this let me kind of give my expertise or lend my real world experience as a customer now on the consulting side. Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to define my role today as the leading privilege access management and endpoint privilege, I lead a team of consultants who are really just highly skilled technologists. We have a really deep bench knowledge, years of consulting experience, as well as production experience in those areas. And it's been really exciting because then you get to help customers really go down that path and achieve their goals. And as I mentioned just a little bit ago, my background was originally a little bit in that user lifecycle management area. Right? We're doing a lot of automation and that sort of thing and access certification. Mm -hmm. So when I came over to Optiv and I started getting exposed to privileged access management, I started asking a lot of questions. Uh, how does this work? What does this mean? <laughs> Did you know what privileged access management was at that point? Yes. It, like I, I had like peripheral knowledge of that. Mm -hmm. The group that I was in didn't control that particular piece of the puzzle, right? It was a little more user lifecycle management. So from a technology's perspective, I was asking a lot of those questions of like, you know, how does this component per se work? Why would we use these kinds of things? And what I loved about the team is a fantastic set of people. They're really willing to educate me on anything that I asked. Um, and it didn't matter which product it was. If there was a new product that came in, I'd say, okay, I understand this piece. Let's talk about this other product and how does that lay into what we're saying here? How does that solve the customer problem? And that's really what I think is special. And what we seek to do here at Optiv is we really want to walk alongside you um, on your security journey. We advise you on your lead the leading practices, how to deploy the technology. We want to show you how to operate that after we leave. You know, it's really important to us that you use the uh, item that you implemented so you can get the best return on investment mm -hmm. and really reduce your risk exposure in that way. If you need somebody to do some of those other things for you, like operate after the tool is implemented, we can do those operational pieces as well. So we really just bring our expertise of the product and the deployment experience. We pair it with the customer's knowledge of their space. And then, you know, that's kind of how uh, we work the program. You mentioned curiosity a, a few times. Do you think that this curiosity has helped you put yourself in a client's shoes and helps you solve problems for them or with them? Absolutely. Because I think many times we see clients explain something and everyone explains something from their perspective. And so there's a lot of conversation that has to be had where you're seeking to really understand what do they mean? And how does that affect them or what is the impact? Mm -hmm. Because what I think it means and what you think it means may be something completely different. And kind of the magic of what we do in the identity space when you're doing the consulting piece of it is really just pair that up. And you have to have a, a place where everyone feels comfortable to share. Inevitably, there's going to be a little dip in the road. You're going to have a problem. And the idea is you come to the table and say, okay, what are our options mm -hmm. that we can talk through? And how can we make this work for the customer in a way that still is in line with the tool, right? The base functionality of what they purchased, 
Or do we need to switch a process around so they maybe change the way that they do something so that the automation piece can pick it up more seamlessly? And then how does that impact them? And you have to be curious about all of those things because I can say technically something works and we'll check the box and technically it works, but technically there's a door to your garage, but I'm asking you to walk all the way around into your neighbor's yard and down the street to get to it. That just seems silly, right? Like you want the easiest functionality um, and that ease of use for the client because that's how they get some buy-in. And that's also how they get that return on investment to say, hey, we are really getting efficient at the way that we're processing some of this stuff and the way we think about it. That's where I think the magic is, is when you're able to collaborate and you trust the expertise that they have and they trust the expertise that you have. So what about Pam piqued your curiosity when you started eight years ago with Optiv and how has it evolved, Pam, and your curiosity uh, of Pam during your time in the space? They probably went hand in hand to be fair, right? Because I was starting at the ground level as far as implementations eight years ago. Before it was, you know, hey, we have a lot of green space. Here's, we're going to do some, a small implementation. We may come back later and do an upgrade. We may come back later and do a phase two. Now I'm seeing a lot more large and complicated environments. They're leveraging several tools to achieve a goal. There's a lot more like that technology sprawl. I think just partially because as you put your identity program together, uh, which does include privilege access management, you are kind of taking chunks off of that at a little bit at a time. And I think we've seen over the course of the years, not just Pam, but identity in general has shifted from a tactical, I need to check a compliance checkbox to I'm getting more of my executives involved. We understand we have to have a strategy to move forward in order to implement this. And so we're seeing a lot more recognition from the executive standpoint on the importance. And then they're the ones that are championing the cause internally. So I think we're seeing some of the things that we've talked about in the identity space start rippling through being a little more common knowledge than they were, for example, We have presentations from probably five or six years ago where we were saying identity is the center of security. And now it feels like that message is proliferated out there to the general public, right? And you're hearing other people say that identity has been in the center. It's the new perimeter, however you want to say it, all the zero trust things that are coming out. That's where we live. Part of it is that's not where everyone else lives. And so part of our job is to help them understand Mm -hmm. and see the opportunity and kind of get there. So we're getting people that are willing to start planning things out a little more beyond the phase one password management, right? It used to be just vault your domain administrators. And now we're getting several phase projects, you know, utilizing password management. People are getting the secrets management. They're getting into endpoint management and they're doing all the things in a phased and specific and intentional way. Working with customers, are there any common PAM misconceptions or other misconceptions you and your team deal with a lot in today's landscape? I think there's a misconception that everyone does it the same way, right? So we talk a lot about what used to be best practices. Now people are saying leading practice. And so I think there's a conception of like, if I work with a financial institution, then 
I will tell that next financial institution to do it the exact same way, or that every single person has done the particular use case that they want to do. And I think customers are seeing that they are unique and they may have something that is unique that pushes the edge of what the traditional use case is. And they think it's normal. And we're saying, hey, we need to figure that out together and make some decisions on how much time and effort we want to spend to solve this issue, either technically, or can we change that process a little bit and stay within the sweet spot of the tool that we're implementing? So I think there are some misconceptions around that, that maybe it's easier than it really is. And you know, if you think about some of the other things that people implement, I could see how they would say, well, it's just vaulting accounts, but it ends up but not being just vaulting accounts, right? You end up vaulting accounts, then it's, you know, session management and mm-hmm. some of those things that go along with that and the process for people to work. So that's the other thing is it's super impactful to the way people work. Right. And so that's why you get a lot of pushback because they're trying to be effective. Are there any particular challenges that you're seeing from customers these days, common challenges that have evolved over time? I would say the common challenge is really just maybe biting off more than they can chew and understanding what each phase should look like. I think that's probably a common challenge. And then getting that organizational buy-in to do it and get the momentum that they need in order to get at least phase one of those projects done. And then sometimes I think, you know, they have an idea, again, back to our last conversation about maybe people think it's too easy Sometimes we have some requests of our teams from the customer side where they just don't have the ammunition to push back on their leadership to say, hey, this isn't feasible in the time frame that we're talking about, right. or hey, this actually isn't the most important thing for us to do now that we've pulled back the covers a little bit from a risk perspective. Mm-hmm. And so getting the right level of return on investment and that organizational change to understand what can we actually implement in the time that we're talking about. And when looking at what I've seen over the years, we're consistently seeing that organizations who plan early, communicate changes, they're the ones that have the most successful deployments. It's not always about the technology. It's actually about how you make the users feel when you're deploying the technology and does it feel as hard as they thought it would or less. So I would imagine that organizational buy-in piece it cannot be underestimated. It's probably a big part of what you do. Yes, it is a big part of what we do, knowing that ahead of time, right? That a customer needs that help is always helpful on our end. Mm-hmm. We're happy to have those conversations and talk about uh, resistance management and just having some of the conversations about what a typical deployment would look like. We've had customers come to us saying, hey, we think we want to do this. Here's what we think the deployment timeline would look like. Does this look right? And I appreciate those conversations Mm -hmm. because it gives us a chance to help level set before you start getting down the path of where expectations are already misaligned. And that's where that communication is invaluable, understanding who they've talked to, how they're communicating this out to their teams. I've had uh, a customer, probably one of my favorite kickoffs ever, we were talking about the scope in the kickoff call and someone from the customer team started laying in another use case and said, what about X? And the customer sponsor came in without any prompting from us and said, that is not in scope and we are doing Y 
by this date. And I couldn't applaud him loudly enough, right? Mm-hmm. That's the thing is, what are we trying to achieve and what's the time frame? And try not to get into so much scope creep. You can always put that in a, the next phase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, connect me with that guy uh, <laughs> after the podcast. We, we got to get him onto the, onto the podcast. He sounds like a good one. Um, how do you measure PAM program maturity? And what are some signs that organizations are making their way through the PAM li- life cycle? I think as we've talked about, traditionally, people start with some of those um, base use cases, which is uh, local administrator, the core admin accounts. Um, And then as we see them expanding out, then we see things like database, if you still want to go with just the vaulting. We see people going into, once they have things vaulted, getting into session management and maybe a little bit of threat analytics, right? To understand, can I automatically shut down those sessions if, you know, Susie is working on something and she, we see that she has done certain commands in order, then we want to be able to cut that down. And, and, you know, obviously being able to have that, at least the visual of the recording to understand what was done so you can undo it is valuable, but then layering that next level of that threat analytics and, and kind of having that automated shutdown, that's another one where you're kind of getting in that prevention mode. Aside from that, we're seeing people advance from, you know, the regular administrative use cases to then talking about um, service accounts. And that's not only how do I rotate passwords on service accounts or, or vault them, but also what does that life cycle of a service account look like? What are we using it for? Who do we, who do we even know that is the owner of that? Do we use that thing anymore? Mm. And so that's a whole process, which is a little more advanced in that regard, because it takes a lot of time to track those things down and get the organizational buy-in to really say, this is what the process is now going to be. And then we see things like application integrations when the applications are talking to each other, um, you know, kind of evolving into that, the secrets and the CICD pipeline and then endpoint management, right? So some of those, you'll mix those phases up a little bit based on what the, the customer wants to achieve. But that's where we're seeing kind of that trend going. So we see people that have done the core implementation come back for successive phases that include one of those things. Shifting gears to to ransomware, which is a key risk consideration for any organization in 2023, what recommendations would you share to protect endpoints and critical infrastructure from ransomware and other forms of malware? The things that we have talked about just a little bit. Endpoint privilege manager, managing those local administrative rights and application access, right? Well, so that we can understand who has rights to execute things on desktops and that privilege elevation is super important. You know, some of the things that are outside of the PAM space, particular antivirus, that kind of thing, obviously is something that they would want to uh, look at as well. But, you know, we're really looking at that endpoint privilege management, and then detection and response from there, like what happens when you perceive an attack on the endpoints. And I think from an endpoint privilege manager perspective, we get a lot of those data points of what people are really using and understand what makes sense from an elevation perspective and what doesn't. Over the years, there's been a lot of innovation in the infrastructure that's powering digital initiatives with things like infrastructure as a service, and more advanced OT systems. How are requirements for PAM and identity security programs adapting? 
As it relates to infrastructure as a service, I think that it's causing people just to have a little bit more, uh, I don't say specialization, but obviously you have to understand cloud environments and help the customer understand how these components will be deployed. There's a consideration for the service provider access that people have to get in and be able to service those things from the infrastructure piece. And advanced OT, we are seeing more and more of that, not just from the privileged remote access perspective, depending on which tools customers are using, but having an awareness of the security required around some of those systems and they're unique. Traditionally, they were air-gapped and now we're collecting more data in those areas. And so people are trying to segment that privilege off. And what does that look like? So there's a little bit of like segmentation pieces from a networking perspective that I think people have to understand. And then from a practitioner perspective as well, how do you deploy in those type of environments, either including the cloud or from an um, operational technology uh, place as well? I'm glad you mentioned cloud because specifically with cloud, there's a lot of interest in just-in-time access. Where can just-in-time elevation and similar controls help existing PAM programs expand to new use cases? Yeah, and when I think about does the cloud change what we're talking about as far as just-in-time access, the technology for just-in-time from an endpoint perspective has been around for uh, quite some time. Mm -hmm. So maybe the question is, is the cloud really the driving factor for some of these things? Or is it that we have successfully deployed these things in um, our on-prem versions? Now we're comfortable with that. And perhaps it's the comfort level with the tool that allows us to expand into that next phase of the project, right? So now that I'm comfortable with capturing these things and mitigating this risk, now I see how I can apply that over here. And then we kind of continue on through that process. So I think it's like the perception of the unknown that drives people back to like, how do we now mitigate this risk? And we would consider that a normal progression in that in the program. We've always been able to do some of the just-in-time. Now, if we're talking about ephemeral access and where an account is created and then granted permission to do the task and then, you know, is deprovisioned, that has maybe gives us more um, encouragement because now I don't have to do the administrative function of provisioning that account, right? So traditionally, it was standing privilege on an account, and then we vault it. So if I'm a, an administrator, I have my core account, and then I have my privileged account that's vaulted. So that's an administrative overhead. So I think the ability to automate these has been, from a just-in-time access, has allowed us to say, hey, now we can go take on these other things that maybe weren't as important before. That's really interesting. Thank you. Moving over to insider threats for a moment. How much are you thinking about or talking about insider threats these days? And how much does the removal of all standing privileges address that threat? I would say in general, we are talking less with clients about insider threats. And I think that goes back to that expansion of use cases and how this has evolved from a PAM perspective. Mm -hmm. As we mentioned, you know, if I have a, a my particular standing privilege accounts, being able to rotate that automatically, I'm really getting more on that zero trust journey 
even as a, an administrator, you know, if I'm an administrator, because before, if I vault it, then I can see the password, maybe, maybe we allow them to just vault it and see the password. I still have some level of privilege, right? But now you're saying, hey, Crystal, you're authorized to go in there and check out that password. If we start implementing other things like password rotation and PSM, then my level of privilege or, or the risk goes down, even though I have access and now we're implementing things like MFA, right? To say you have, must multi-factor in there so that I know that you're supposed to have access to this. You check out your account and then it auto-rotates after you use it. You never see the password. So I think we're seeing a little bit less of that versus as people start talking about external threats and privilege elevation, right? How do people get in and then elevate their privileges? I think as much more what customers are talking about. And um, also from the perspective of if I'm outsourcing some of my IT space to someone else, now I have a third party, right? And what, what does that look like? And how do I manage those privileges? Because maybe that is not the same set of people working on my account every single day, right? It's not the one, I'm not giving one person access. I'm giving a set of 10 people at that organization access to log in to service my accounts. And so I think people think about it a little more expanded versus um, now there's just more threats. Right. <laughs> that, that sounds horrible, but I, I think that's, that's the that's the universe we're in, right? Is is there's just more? There's sure. more to think about. It's more complicated. And the universe that we're in now, of course, is going to be different than the universe that we're going to be in in a week, a month, a year. Excuse the terrible pun here, but if we're to look into the crystal ball with crystal, what do you think we're we're looking at in, in a year? How are things changing? I think we're going to see more people doing, I'm already seeing this, trending up toward the EPM implementations. We're seeing more secrets management journeys. From an endpoint perspective, I do think people are going to start uh, implementing more just-in-time access and starting to seek out like what areas of risk can they, where they can use that so they don't have to do the standing privilege piece anymore. So I think we're going to really see a push toward just in time. And I think that companies are going to really embrace that and as well as endpoint, right? Because I think they're seeing that the end user um, from a malware perspective um, and ransomware perspective, that's really dangerous. So one other thing I wanted to ask you about, there's considerable underwriting scrutiny around endpoint privilege controls, especially a company's ability to remove local admin rights from all users. How can organizations find the right balance between least privileged control and operational efficiency? I think that's something that the business uh, itself and end users definitely let you know from a security perspective. They will work with the security team to identify what the risks are, what controls make sense based on risk scores that they've established. You know, when is the right scenario to require adaptive authentication based on what you're securing? How do we use analytics to understand when someone's operating outside of normal behavior patterns? And I think you see from that perspective, people will push back on the process when it becomes arduous. And I'll defer back to way back when I was doing security certifications, one of the instructors said, how much security is enough? And the answer is just enough, right? It's enough to secure the thing without making it so hard that someone is going to go around you and do something else. That's where you have to have that good conversation about 
how do you balance that and make sure you're listening to your users and is what they're citing a valid complaint? I would give you an example. Mm -hmm. I have a customer that moved off a particular tool onto another one of the same sort. The first tool did something very specific for a set of users that the second tool does not inherently do. And it's really a process change. So then I think you have to think about as a business, do we want to go down this customization route in order to make a group of, say, 10 users happy? Or do we want to tell them this is the process we're going to use and this is a decision that we've made? And so therefore, I don't want to say I don't care what the old tool did, but it's irrelevant if if you can't replicate that in the new tool, <laughs> right? It doesn't make sense because now we have to spend time every time we upgrade, right. you know, going and retesting that code and making sure that it it's still working. And then to be fair, it just change the process and then move forward. And in 30 or 60 days, do you think they're going to be talking about that? Probably not. I think those are some of the scenarios that as leaders, we have to understand, is it a big deal or is this a short-term I don't like it because it's different, which is a little bit of where that organizational change uh, management comes from. Right. That's really interesting. You must deal with that all the time. I don't like it because it's different because people don't like change. Yes, they, they do not like change. And I think when we talk to folks in the discovery process and we're talking through what are you doing today, what pain points are you having? That's a really important place for us because we really want to hear from them. How do they do it today? And what do they like or don't like about that process? Because if it's feasible, we want to make sure that the new tool is configured to do that as effectively as possible. So it's less change for you. So having that open conversation is really important. Crystal Trani, thanks so much for coming on to Trust Issues. It's been great. Appreciate it. Thank you, David. It's been fantastic. Thanks for listening to Trust Issues. If you like this episode, please check out our back catalog for more conversations with cyber defenders and protectors. And don't miss new episodes. Make sure you're following us wherever you get your podcasts. And let's see. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, drop us a line if you feel so inclined. Questions, comments, suggestions, which come to think of it are kind of like comments. Our email address is trustissues, all one word, at cyberarc.com. See you next time.